Joshua chapter 24. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau. And I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out, and I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And ye came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. They're backed up against the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwell on the other side, Jordan. And they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand that ye might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose in warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. So Joshua is given like a short history, a synopsis of what's happened in the past couple hundred years. Verse number 10, but I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. And ye went over Jordan and came unto Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites, the Hivites and Jebusites, all kinds of sites. And I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out, drove them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them. Of all of the, inver- of the, uh, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not, do ye eat. Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord... Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether uh, the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, this is what this is what Joshua is telling the people, and we'll get to this here in a second. But uh, the book of Joshua and the life of Joshua are coming to a close, as you can see in this chapter. Uh, Joshua has he's had a crazy, awesome journey of a life. He's gone through so much. He, had, he he's done so much. As a younger man, he started off as a spy. We're introduced to Joshua when he is a spy in the in the in the land of Jericho, and uh, there he's working for Moses. And then he becomes uh, the second uh, in second in command in Israel. 
He becomes a very, very powerful guy. And then after Moses dies, he becomes the leader of Israel. And so he's gone from being a simple spy to being second in command and then to being uh, the leader of all Israel. And then when you get to the end of his life, Joshua is actually one of the greatest military leaders the nation of Israel has, has ever seen. He has lived in incredible life, even though much of the land... Uh, much of the promised land had, had yet to be claimed. He was the one who first led the Israelites into the promised land. He helped them cross over Jordan initially. Moses couldn't do it, so he did it. This guy has lived a life. He has lived an amazing, amazing life. So he's had a good, full life. And, in, and to top it all off, he was the spokesperson for God on behalf of the people. He'd go to God for the people. Uh, God would go to him to talk to the people. So he had an important position. To the Israelites, Joshua was... He's a titan of a man. This guy was a titan. This was, this, was, this was a legendary guy. He's almost a mythological guy. He's, he's one of those guys that just you remember for hundreds and hundreds of years. We're talking about him still thousands of years later. To the Israelites, Joshua was an extraordinary military genius that was used by God literally to hold the sun and the moon in place for a 24-hour period. This is, this is an incredible guy. He's a titan. So, when we get to the book of Joshua, chapter 24, and he's giving his closing speech, this titan of a man, he's about to leave, he's about to retire, he's done, he's, he's about to pass off of the scene. When he speaks, everybody listens. It wasn't like Joshua gets up there and speaks and, you know, there's a crowd of a couple people. It's when he speaks, the entire nation gathers around this one man to hear what he's going to have to say. So this is what Joshua, this is where he's at. Joshua is giving his farewell speech, his farewell address to the nation. So these are, these are important words. These were important words to the people who were listening. These are important words for us this morning. And in his speech, what Joshua really wants to communicate to the people is how much they have been given. But not just how much they've been given, but how much more they had yet to claim. So he's, he's rehearsing, half of his speech is rehearsing to the people what's already been happened, what's already, what's already been done, what's already happened. That's half of his speech. And then the next half of his speech is telling them that he wants them to continue moving forward. The promised land was, was, was what he was talking about. He had led them into the promised land, but there was so much more they had to claim. There was so much more that God wanted to give them. You know that they had, at this point in Joshua's life, they had claimed only a small sliver of the promised land, a fraction of the promised land that God wanted to give them. God wanted to give them an entire nation, an empire, really. And, and they had only, at this time, taken a fraction of that. So the, the promised land was the vision and mission that God had for the Israelites. God wanted this, wanted this land for the Israelites. And, and Joshua is telling the people, he's telling the people, he's encouraging them to make God's mission their mission. See, God's mission for the people was to move into the promised land, to take the, uh, the, the promised land, to conquer the promised land, to take everything that God had for them to take. That is what God's mission for them was. It was to give them an entire nation for themselves. And Joshua was telling them that mission, I want you guys to own that mission. I want you guys to internalize that mission. The mission to walk into the promised land and to claim it. It can't be just my mission is what Joshua is saying. It has to be everybody's mission. I want everybody here in the nation. I'm not going to pass this mission off to another leader. He's in a, he wanted, he wanted the, all the people to, to, to own this mission. And God has the same desire for us today. 
He has a mission for our life. He has, a, he has a mission and he has a vision for your life. He has a mission and he has a vision for this place, for this church. And he wants us to claim this year. He has a promised land that he wants us to claim this year. He wants us to take his mission and his vision and to make it ours. You know, God has a mission for your life. God has a vision for your life. And he wants you to make his vision your vision. He wants you to make his mission your mission. He wants, he wants we, uh, as a church, he wants us to take his mission and make it our mission, to internalize, to own it. Why? Why does he want us to do this? Why does he care about us living out his mission for our life? Because what he wants for my life is better than what I want for my life. What God wants for me is better than what I want for me. God is saying, I want you to take my vision for your life. I want you to take my mission for your life because what I have for you is so much better than what you think you have for you. God is saying, take this mission. Take what I want to give you. Take the vision that I have for your life because you're going to like it a lot much better than the vision that you have for your life. The plan and the designs that he has for our life are better than the plans and the designs that we have for our life. It's, it's, like, um, it's like if any of you guys, when you, when you first got married, like when I forgot, first got married and uh, we moved into our apartment together and, and I look at our sparse apartment. And I didn't have a problem with it, quite frankly. I grew, I was, I'm a guy, I lived in the college, lived in the dorms, I have a problem with it. And my wife is like, well, why don't, we, why don't we decorate? We need to decorate this apartment and look like people actually that, that aren't barbarians live inside of this apartment. So, okay, fine. My idea of decorating the apartment is you get a couch, you get a TV, you get a bed. Those are the three things you need. And only those three things. And the bed is optional. You can just sleep on the couch, but you have to have a, t- a couch and a TV, right? And so that's what I think. This is, this is, this is, but my wife has a different vision, though. My wife's vision, obviously, is a lot better than that. My wife's vision is, well, we need to get pictures of ourselves. We need to get, we need to get uh, some, some, some nice uh, pillows to go on the couches. The, the TV's optional. Uh, but we need, to, we need to decorate this place. We need to get everything together. You get the bed. You guys, nice comforter. Everything has to be matching. Who's ever heard of that, right? When you're a guy, why does it have to, ma- but it has to be matching. You have to get pots and pans. You have to get all the things right. And when I look at the finished product, I walk in one day, look at all the stuff. She's like, do you like it? Do I like it? This is amazing. If I had it my way, everything would have been in black. And we would have had like two pots and pans and maybe a toaster and a microwave, right? Her vision was so much better than my vision. And God is saying, that's kind of what it's like. You see, would we have the vision that we have for our life? It is nothing compared to the vision that he has. The mission that he has for your life this year in uh, 2020, it is so much better than anything we can even hope or imagine or comprehend. His is that much higher than our uh, vision, that much better than our vision. So how do I claim that vision? That's really the question. How do I claim that vision? How do I claim that mission for my life? And we find the answer to that by looking at what Joshua said, because Joshua was trying to convince the Israelites of the same thing. Joshua, he's coming to the Israelites, he's saying, look, you guys got to hear me out. God's vision for you is a lot better than your vision for you. If you guys had it your way, he's telling the Israelites, you guys are already back in slavery in Egypt. If they had it their way, time and time again. And, God, and Joshua's saying, look, you guys got you to follow God's vision for your life. So what does Joshua tell them? Look at verse number 5, 8, and 11. I sent Moses also and Aaron. And I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. So verse number five, he's telling them, God is, Joshua is telling the people what God has done for them. I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt 
according to that which I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out, verse number 8. I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, that ye might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Look at verse number 11. And ye went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, all the ites, all the sites, and the Jebusites. And look at what God says, of all the ites, I delivered them into your hand. So he kind of, he kind of goes through this litany of all the things God had done for the, the, the nation of Israel, for the people of Israel. And in Joshua's final speech to the people of Israel, he spends the first half of it recounting everything that God had done for the people. God had made them his chosen people. He'd caused plagues in Egypt. He'd liberated them from slavery in Egypt. He'd brought them into the wilderness uh, from Egypt. He kept them safe. He kept them fed. He kept them provided for. He brought them over Jordan into Jericho. Any army that was in the promised land that tried to come up against them, God conquered them for them. They didn't have to lift a finger for any of it. So he's going through all these things that God had done for the people. And Joshua was telling the people, you can trust, this is what he's telling them, you can trust God with your future because of what he has done for you in the past. And God is telling us the same thing this morning. You can trust God with his mission, with his vision for your life because of what he's done for us in the past. Why should we accept the vision that God has for our life this year? Why should we accept his mission for our life? Because he has a history and a reputation that you can trust. You can trust God's track record. God has a great track record. You know, my track record as a human being, as a husband, as a pastor, my track record is marked by mistake after mistake, defeat after defeat, wrong decision after wrong decision, failure after failure. I cannot trust my own track record, but I can trust his. You can trust his this morning. You know, over the Christmas, uh, we had some of our family over, and uh, my mom really wanted to play bingo with all of us. And, uh, and so she sat us all down, the whole family, we played bingo. How many of you guys enjoy playing bingo? Okay. <laughs> if you're over 50, you don't have to raise your hand, right? <laughs> but I enjoy playing bingo. I'm an old soul, I guess. I enjoy playing bingo. We all sat down playing bingo. Even all the little kids, all of us sat around the table, played bingo. And uh, I, I picked a card. Everyone picked their card. You know, you had to pick a card in bingo. And then I got all my little pieces together, and you have to match it with whoever the moderator, uh, whatever the moderator says is the, the little square on the bingo card. And so they start calling off the names from the bingo card. And uh, I noticed uh, after about 45 minutes, <clears throat> I'm kind of slow sometimes, it took me about 45 minutes to realize that this card, I was not winning with this card. Now, one time did I win. My little brother, who's here this morning taking pictures in the back, he, I don't know if he was cheating, I don't know if they were in cahoots, but he had his card, he was winning at his side of the table, because we got prizes every time you won. His little side of the table, he had this small mountain of, of prizes, gift cards, chocolates, all the things, right? He had a small mountain over here. Here I was over here, the poor guy, I had nothing. And so everyone started telling me, well, hey, why don't you, um, why don't you trade your card? Because... Your card, obviously, you're not winning with that card. You're, not, you're, just, you're just not, I don't know if it's you or the card, but you're not winning with that card. You need to trade your card. My brother over here, he didn't want to give up his card because his card was a winning card. So eventually, I traded my card. I don't know if it was for his or somebody else's. I, traded my, I finally had to trade my bingo card, and then I actually started winning. I did not win one time with that bingo card. You know, it's a lot like that. God is saying, you have this track record in your life. It's not a good track record. 
There's a lot of losses you've conjured up. There's a lot of, there's a lot of failures, a lot of mistakes. God's saying, he's over here on the other side of the table. This little small mountain of prizes is saying, why don't you trade your card for mine? Why don't you trade your mission for my mission? Why don't you trade your vision for my vision this year? Because there's a promised land that I want to give you that you can't get yourself. There's a, there's a place that I want to send you. There's a place that I want you to conquer. There's something I want to deliver you from this year. There's something I want to give to your family and your relationships and your marriage that you cannot do on your own. You don't have the track record for it. But God is telling us this morning, I have the track record for it. There's something I want to give you this morning that's good. That's something that, that's going to build you. God is telling us, trade your card for his. Trade your vision for his. God God has never let us down. He's never led us in the wrong direction. He's never lost a battle. He has a great track record in this world. He's never come up short. He's never having an off day. Every time you need him, he's there. He has a perfect attendance in your life. Every time you've needed him, he's showed up. That's why he's called. That's why we just sang about a couple minutes ago. That's why he's called the way maker. That's why he's called the promise keeper. That's why he's called, uh, that's who he is, is what that song says. It's who he is. He has this track record. that's his track record. God's track record for us is undefeated. You ever hear these kids say, oh, that person's the GOAT. You know, what do they mean, the GOAT? It means the greatest of all time. They're the GOAT. LeBron James, he's the GOAT. He's not, by the way. He's the greatest. He's the GOAT. You know, God's saying, I'm the GOAT. I'm the greatest of all time. I'm the one who's never lost. I will never lose. I'm the one who's always going to be there for you. You see this in Psalm chapter 37. A wise old man is speaking here. He says, I have been young and now old. He said, I've lived a lot of years in this earth, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. You know, this wise old man is saying, I've been young, I've been old, I've been everywhere in between, and looking back on my life, I have never seen people who followed God, I have never seen them want for anything, I've never seen God forsake them, I've never seen God leave them behind. God is always there for his people, and he's telling us today that you can trust his direction. You can trust that his vision he has for your life is a good vision. You can trust that the mission he has for your life is a good mission. God has come through for us every single time. And God has come through for Restoration Baptist Church every single week, every single time, every single step of the way. You know, I remember when I was a child, my parents got, uh, I, I got saved, I got, I trusted Christ, became a follower of Jesus at a very young age. And all through my life and seeing my family grow up in church, I've never one time seen God forsake our family. I've never one time seen God uh, not be there for us when we needed him. Joshua told Israel that they could trust God's vision for them because he had a proven track record. Now, let's look at the other reason. The other reason is verse number 13. Look at the other reason that we can follow God's vision and mission for our life. Verse number 13. This is Joshua speaking on behalf of God. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not, do ye eat. This is an amazing distinction here. So after Joshua tells the people everything God had done for them, done being the key word, he had done for them, in verse 13, Joshua tells the people everything God had given them. And this verse is pretty amazing because God performed miracles on their behalf and he's done a lot of amazing things. But he's saying in verse number 13 that he had given them fully constructed cities to live in. 
It's not that God brought them into a land. He destroyed all the enemies. Now they have to remake the cities. No, no, no. God's saying here, he's saying, I've brought you into cities which you didn't even have to build. I've given you agriculture. I've given you infrastructure. I've given you olive yards and uh, uh, vineyards. I've given you everything that you could possibly need in a nation ready-made, pre-built, ready to go. The infrastructure, it's already developed. It's already there. You don't have to build anything. It's already there for you. The nation I've given you is a ready-made nation. All these things were ready for the Israelites when they claimed these lands. They didn't lift a finger for it. God had just given it to them. They didn't have to establish the promised land. The land came ready-made. There was no assembly required to what they had been given. Jesus was saying to the people, don't just look at what God has done. Look at what God has given you. He's given you a land that you didn't have to work for. You didn't have to develop. You didn't have to build. It's already done for you. Why is that important? Why is that important for us? Because Jesus has done the same for us. Jesus went to the cross and did everything that needed to be done for our salvation. So when we come to Jesus Christ, we don't come having to put ourselves together. We don't come to Jesus having to get all the things in our life right. We don't come to Jesus having to put all of our problems and mistakes together. Jesus has paid for all of it already. He's given us a land, a promised land, the land of heaven for, for us one day. It's already made for us. It's already assembled. We don't have to do it ourselves. God is telling us this morning that salvation is not assembled. It's accepted. God has given us something for which we do not have to labor. This is what God wants us to understand about him. Jesus has already done everything that needed to be done to spend eternity with him, and I'll show, I'll show you what I mean. I have something with me here this morning. I have with me, uh, I put together, whoop. Whenever you, whenever you bend down, you have to go uh, like that. It means, it means you had too much to eat over Christmas and New Year's. So I have with me, I have uh, a chair. If you're anything like me, you don't like putting these things together because they're confusing. How many of you guys like me? This stuff is confusing. Now, some of you, some of you are really smart, not like that. Uh, I have to. I get. I get nervous. I get confused. And uh, uh, pro tip: if there's extra pieces at the end of assembly, you've done it wrong, right? Don't sit on it. So when it comes to this, this is supposed to be a chair, and uh, and and so I have all the pieces here, right? Here's uh, here's the seat. I think. Here's the, that's the part you sit on. I have all this stuff. I have all the things here. This is, uh, yeah, I remember, I remember growing up, my dad would build us a bike, and uh, there'd be a lot of uh, spare pieces at the end of it. And uh, so when you, you drive down the driveway, there's a lot of clinking and clanking. Uh, ah, you'll grow into it, Dad says. You know. So I have all the pieces, right? So this is it, right here. All the pieces. This all has to be assembled, right? This is, um, this is how some of us think about God. This is how a lot of us think about God and coming to God. It's confusing, right? You have to put it together yourself. That's what a lot of people think. People, people have these questions about God. They have questions all the time, say, okay. So if I, need to, if I want to come to God, this is really confusing, I'm kind of afraid to put this together. I'm, I'm unsure of myself. So I have to come to God. I have to, I have to live a good life, right? I have to put that in there. 
I have to, I have to give to the church. I have to, I have to do that. That's how I put this part, start putting this together. I have to, um, I have to be kind. I have to keep the golden rule. You know, that's how, I, that's how I come to God, right? That's what we think, and so we have to, we think we have to assemble it ourselves. And finally, at the end of the day, we, we try to put it all together before we die or before we need God. Sometime we have to try to put it all together before we need something and say, okay, God, here I am. And 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 God's looking at this, and say, whoa, that's not going to cut it. See, this is what people think about God. That we're unsure, we're, we're confused. We try to get to God by working to God ourselves. God is saying that's not how it works. With God, there's no assembly required. It's already put together. You know how I know that that's how we, a lot of us think about God? Because when I'm building this, I'm confused, I'm unsure, sometimes I'm even afraid because I don't want someone to get hurt if I, if I build it wrong. You know how I know that's how some, because when we think about God, when we think about death, when we think about certain things about eternity or heaven, we're, we're, we're confused, we're unsure, and sometimes we're even afraid. So we, 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 we think we're still in the mindset. If we're, going, if we're confused, if we're unsure, if we're afraid, we're still in the mindset of, okay, God, i got to put this all together myself. i got to assemble my life, put all of my problems and all of my, all of my, my things together, and i gotta, I got to work it all out myself. God is saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. If I could borrow this chair right here. God is saying to us, this is how it works. You see, this is what you think I am. This is how you think I operate. This is how I operate. You see, Jesus went to a cross. He did everything that needed to be done. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He put together salvation for us. And all he is saying, all you have to do, all you have to do, you don't have to be confused about it. You don't have to be unsure about it. You don't have to be afraid about it. You don't have to assemble it yourself. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is rest in it. All you have to do is place your faith in me because I've done everything that needed to be done. You don't need to do a thing. You don't need to be a part of a denomination to receive it. You don't need to get, uh, get baptized to receive it. You don't, need to get, uh, you don't need to get be part of a church to receive it. You don't need to give to receive it. You don't need to be a good person to receive it. All you need to do is re- to receive it is accept it by faith. It's no earning. It's ready made. No assembly required. That's what God is saying. Salvation is not assembled, it's accepted. And that's the best news anybody can ever hear. Because God is saying, you don't need to be confused. You don't need to live in a fear. You don't need to be unsure anymore. All you need to do is accept it. There's no assembly required. That is something we can rest in. Because of Jesus, you don't have to be confused. You don't have to be unsure. You don't have to be afraid. You see this in Titus chapter 3. God tells us this in his word. He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Not by works of righteousness. Not trying to put it together. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul's saying to us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. He's saying it's not of works. It's all grace of Jesus Christ. Just as God had given Israel a land for which they did not have to work, God has given us a salvation for which we do not have to pay a penny. You don't have to assemble it yourself. It's already, uh, already done. That's, that's an amazing news. That's the news that we've been speaking here at Restoration Baptist Church for the past two years. You don't have to assemble it. You just have to accept it by faith. So the question is, have you accepted it by faith? Have you accepted it? That, that, see, the, the point is that anybody who would sacrifice himself for me, 
that's a person I can trust. The guy who sacrificed himself for me, that's the vision that I want for my life. The guy who's, 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 who's died for me, who's done everything for me, I want to live out that guy's mission because that's someone worth following. And this is what Joshua is about to tell them. This is what Joshua is about to tell them. Look at verse number 14. Now, therefore, now, therefore, so Joshua told the people what God had done for them, what he had given them. He gave them a ready-made land that they didn't have to to earn or work for. Now Joshua tells the people what their response to God should be. What is their response? Now he, he tells them, because Joshua wanted the people to respond to what they had received. And this makes sense. This makes sense. Joshua, he's, he's telling them everything that God had done for them. He, he led them out of Egypt. He'd uh, conquered the, the Egyptian empire. He'd led them into a promised land. He tells them everything that God had done for them, everything that they had received. Now he's saying, you need to respond. How will you respond? And this, is, this makes sense because when you receive, you respond. I mean, parents, you teach this to your kids from the time that they're just wee lads. That when, when someone gives you something, when someone gives your child something, you teach them to say thank you. I can't tell you how many times growing up and how many times now I hear parents, when they receive something, when their kids receive something, the parents will kind of nudge their kids, say, what do you say? Right? Kids says, oh, thank you. That makes sense. It's just courteous. It's kind. It's, it's great. So you do that when somebody gives you something, you say thank you. Now, if somebody gives you something, something big, at Christmas time or your birthday or whatever, uh, they, you receive a big gift from them. Well, your response is going to be a little bit different than if you, they just gave you a dollar. Your response is going to be a little bit bigger. If they give you something big, you respond by, by, by a big thank you. You say, wow, you didn't have to do that. <clears throat> thank you so much for what you did. Thank you so much for that gift, right? Because if they give you something big, you want to respond with a, with a bigger thank you. Now, if, if somebody, let's just say somebody sacrifices for you, you receive a gift that was sacrificial. I mean, something, something big, something big. Something like uh, maybe someone donates one of their kidneys to you. Somebody donates part of their liver. A simple thank you probably ain't going to cut it, right? You're going to be like, well, uh, you know what, thank you. I, I think I have a leftover thank you card from Walmart or Target. Ship that, uh, ship that off to them. Thank you. Much obliged. No. And your response is going to be different. You're going, to have a, you're going to have a different response. Your response, after you wake up from that surgery, after they gave you half of their liver, you, know, you can get up and think, you know what? I really appreciate it. Got to run. Want to test drive this thing out. I'm going to get me some Mountain Dew, and uh, I'm going to see how it works now. You know, that's not going to be your response. Your response is going to be, in light of what you have done for me, what can I do for you? That's going to be your response. That makes sense. Someone gives you something, they sacrifice for you. That, that. So when Joshua answers this question, so Joshua answers that question for everybody, he's saying to them in verse number 14, he says, now therefore, that's what he starts the verse off with, in light of what God has given to you, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. In light of everything God has done for you and everything God has given for you, the salvation you have received at the hands of Jesus Christ, in light of what God has done for you, serve him is what he's saying. He's given his life for you. God is saying, I want you to live for me. I've sacrificed for you. I want you to serve me. I've given everything to you. I'm asking for a little bit in return. That makes sense. 
to us? Why should we live out God's vision for our life? Why should we devote ourselves to his mission? Why should we serve him as believers or as people? Because he sacrificed for us. We have been saved to serve. What God did ought to change what we do. Because Jesus saved me, I want to serve him. I want to serve his church. I want to serve his people. I want to serve the people he's put into my life. Because of what Jesus has done for me, I want to serve other people. I want to serve his church. I want to be a part of what he is doing in this world. I want to advance his kingdom. Why? Because he's done so much for me. I, that's the only logical response I can give. I don't just want to say thank you to God with my lips. I want to say thank you to God with my life. I love what Joshua says in verse number 14. Because of what God has done for you, let's put away other gods and serve him in sincerity. You see that in verse number 14? At the end of the verse, he says, let's put away all the other gods and serve him in sincerity. That word sincerity, it means completely, holy, singularly. So God wants to be the singular focus of your life. Joshua wanted the people to serve with a singular focus. And this isn't the only place you read this. Many hundreds of years later, the prophets would say this exact same thing in 1 Samuel chapter 12. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. Why? Consider him how great things he hath done for you. I don't know how many of you guys have cats? How many of you guys hate cats? How many of you guys kill cats? Don't answer that question. I have a cat. I love cats. Grew up with cats. Cats are the best. We have a cat named Piper. I told you guys about this a couple times. We have a cat, and uh, somebody gave us, uh, a couple months ago, somebody gave us a, uh, a laser pointer, a couple of laser pointers. Laser pointers are just God's gift to cats, right? Laser pointers are the greatest because there's this, it's like, it's like crack to a cat, right? It's just they, they have to chase it. They live for it. They have, to, they have to have it. And so we love messing with our cat. And what I, this is a little pro tip for some of you guys that have uh, laser pointers and cats. What you do is you get, your, uh, you, you get your cat, you get the laser pointer, and you, 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 you start to move the laser pointer onto a floor that's kind, of, that's kind of glossy so they can slide. And they just slide right into stuff, run into walls, run into tables. It's the great. Anyway, so laser pointers, what's great about the laser pointers and the cats is is, uh, is, is, is they have a lot of fun with it. But one thing that you have to be careful with is uh, you don't put the laser pointer in your own eye, right? I've learned this. Laser pointers are really, really, really powerful. The other thing you shouldn't do with laser pointers is, uh, is point them into the neighbor's house. I actually I accidentally did this. And so you, you point this to the other people's house, and it's incredible how far these laser pointers will go. You ever wonder, why, how is it that, that, that a little a flashlight, you have this a flashlight that's powerful, all these batteries, and you get this little wash of light, but you have this little laser pointer, and it goes for hundreds of feet. Well, it's, it's because this laser pointer doesn't have like a, a wash of light. It has a, a, a focused, a singularly focused beam of light. Just one straight beam of light. It's not spread out. It's not like a a shotgun spread. It's a singular focused beam of light down to where you want it to go. God is saying, I want you to live your life with that kind of focus, that kind of singularity, that kind of singular focus, like a laser beam. I want you to serve me in your life. That's the kind of life we are being challenged to live this morning, a life that serves Jesus with a singular focus. You know, there's no telling what God could do in and for a people who have a singular focus on him. 
If we decided to serve God with singularity, I dare say it would change everything. It would change our families. I dare say it would change our lives. It would change our relationships. It would change our church. And I believe eventually it would change our community if we decided this morning to to live out God's mission, to live out God's vision for our life with a singular focus. It would change everything in our life. But I want you to see this last thing now. Verse number 15. This ties it all together. This is Joshua essentially ends his, his, his final speech with, with this. He has a little bit left, but this is essentially the end of it. This is the climax of what he says. He says, And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is probably the most important statement Joshua made in his entire life. Because in verse number 15, Joshua compels the people to make a decision. He doesn't just say, this is what God did, this is what God's given you, serve him someday. He's saying, make that decision now. Choose today. Choose in these moments Choose. If you're going to serve God, then decide to serve God. If you're going to serve all the gods that were in, the, in Egypt, then choose to serve them. But choose. But decide. Don't play limbo. Don't straddle the fence. Don't play both sides. You know God is not looking for a bunch of double agents. You know God is here this morning saying, you know what? I just want you to add me to your life. You have, uh, you have all the things in your life. You have your job. You have your co-workers. You have all of your, uh, your chores and all the things you have to do. And you have all this list. Just plug me into one of those. That's that's never what God asks us to do. You know what God asks us to do? He says, I want you to choose this morning, today, right now, choose whether you're going to serve me or someone else. I don't want you to straddle the fence. I don't want you to play limbo with me. God is saying it's one or the other. Then he says something great to the people. He essentially says, you guys guys can make your own decision. I'm about to leave. I'm about to die. You guys can make your own decision for yourself. But I'm going to tell you this. Whether you decide to follow God or you decide to follow idols, whatever you decide to do, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. You guys can do whatever you want to do, but we are going to serve God. We're going to serve the Lord. We have been saved to serve. Joshua decided that no matter what anybody else around him did, he was going to serve God. This morning, God is asking us the same question. Who will you serve? Who will you, will you serve the one who saves or will you serve self? Will you join his mission? Will you join his vision? Often we have our own vision for our life. We have our own mission to accomplish. Imagine what could happen. Imagine what could happen this morning if we chose to follow his vision. Imagine what could happen in this place if we chose to follow his mission. Imagine if this morning you decided to follow God's vision for your marriage. Imagine this morning if you decided to follow God's vision for raising your family. Imagine this morning you decided to follow God's vision for your life and for your emotions and for your wellness and for your thoughts and your actions and your behaviors. Imagine what could happen if we followed God's vision for our life. I want to serve the one who saves. I want to serve the one who sacrificed it all for me. The one who died for me. I want to get behind that guy's vision. God wants Restoration Baptist Church to be a people that are devoted to his mission and vision. I believe God's vision for this place is a great vision. I believe God wants to change lives, to save people. I believe God wants to transform our community this morning. I believe God wants to build our church. I believe we are in the beginning stages of seeing what God wants to do in our midst this morning. Now we have to choose. 
The best is yet to come at Restoration Baptist Church because we are all about the vision of Jesus Christ, not my vision as the pastor, not someone else's vision, the mission and the vision of Jesus Christ. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for us in this place, we will serve the Lord. I don't know what you're going to do, but that's what we're going to do. You ever, um, you ever seen kids at the beach before? I remember I was a kid going to the beach. We lived in Oregon where the beach was always cold. Always cold. The water's always cold. You guys remember going to the beach? How many of you guys remember going to the beach? I remember going to the beach. I remember having my two other brothers. They'd run into the water sometimes. Sometimes it was opposite, but sometimes my brothers would run into the water. They loved the water. My older brother especially would run into the water. He'd just run into it. He'd be like, Dominic, come on. I was the little wimp sometimes. I'd walk into the water. You know how some of you, some of them are, you walk into the water as a kid, you just touch it with your feet. Ooh, that's cold. That's cold. I don't know if I could do that. And you look at the water, and you see, man, it's kind of scary. There's big waves. Kraken could be in there. Davy Jones. I, who knows what could be in there, right? It, Loch Ness Monster. Who knows what? So you're, you, you, it's cold. You're unsure. You're afraid. You're scared. But you know what? I love this. When you see kids... They, they dip their toes in there. Ooh, all the friends are telling them to come in. This is what I love about kids. This, is, this isn't how adults work anymore. Kids, they see that. They see the, see the unsure nature of the water. They see the cold, and they see the unknown. Do you know what they do? I love it when I see this. I see them. There's, there's the ocean. I see them. They don't know because it's cold, unsure. They're afraid. Inevitably, the kids, they back up a couple, a couple steps. They crouch down. I love seeing this. And they just run. Cold water or not, fear or not, cracking or not, they're just running in and they just, they just jump into the water head first, arms out. They don't care what happens. They're going to get into that ocean. That's what God wants with your life this morning. He's saying you're going to be scared sometimes. You're going to be unsure. Sometimes you're going to be confused. But just run to him. Run to him. Just accept his vision. Accept his mission. Accept that you belong in this place. That God wants to do something with you and your family. That he has the best year for you this year. The best is yet to come. Make the decision. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord.